Welcome to another episode of Service Tension. My name is Grant. My name is Sharad. This is the podcast where we explore ideas and finances that we encounter. Oh, wait, is this the unfiltered podcast on entrepreneurship? <laughs> uh, no, but we do have a guest today, Jacob Swinney. He's the co-host on the Recess podcast, a good friend from U of I, and somebody that's savvy when it comes to entrepreneurship and investing, um, and somebody that we brought in today to talk about financial literacy and things that you guys should know when it comes to saving, investing, as well as a next step of wealth generation and dabbling in real estate in the future, which Jacob has a little bit of history in and has a lot of experience talking about and understanding. So that's why we brought Jacob in. Welcome, Jacob, to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Grant. You gave me too much of a, a morale boost to, in the beginning. Now people are going to have high expectations. So I let everyone <laughs> know he talked too highly <laughs> of me. So don't be don't be too excited. <laughs> no, no. Well, so we actually we wanted to make this episode because recently, as post as people have just who have just graduated, I feel like there's a lot of noise out there in terms of how to be financially free when you're 30 all of these things that you should be doing, all these accounts that you should be having. And it's a very difficult space to navigate when there's a lot of these options. And so we wanted to create kind of a clear cut starting place for people to help with their journey in preparing to be financially free, preparing for retirement and just how to properly invest and save. So yeah, so just to get started, why should people care about saving or investing? Why is it important? first of all, like the biggest cause of divorce is money issues. You don't want to be 60 and like having to work a job. You don't want to have the financial stress of an issue coming up that you can't handle because you don't have enough money in the bank. So basically like having healthy finances is important to living a life of peace. And I mean, I don't know about like anyone listening, but for me personally, like I don't want to be living a stressful life more than I have to. And so getting my finances in order, number one, allows you to live a life of peace where you're not going to be stressed about, you know, your next check coming in, your next bill. If something happens, you can cover it. So all these reasons are just things are just make it important for anyone, no matter what type of life they want to live, to have at least their finances in order so that they're not going to be stressed for the next unexpected life event that comes up, like the rainy day or whatever it is. Yeah. Totally. And I, I actually brought up another good point the other day about that I hadn't thought about. A lot of people think about having kids like a lot of people want to have a family when they grow up. And the one aspect of having a kid that I think you notice as a college student is your parents saving up money for you to go to college or hopefully providing some measure for you to get an education. And that's something that like I definitely didn't think about um, enough. And that's something another reason to put away money and something that people don't think about when it comes to like retirement planning or saving in general. So just another reason to keep saving. So just to start out with a scenario, someone that has freshly graduated gets their first paycheck. What are some common mistakes that you see being made? Well, I think it's interesting because it's hard to make a one size fits all for everyone and what they should do and what they shouldn't do. I think some of the big mistakes are paying money on, first of all, recurring expenses that like aren't going to add value to your life that much. And just take a step back. I think it's super important to sit down and think about what you actually want and what your goals are, and then building a kind of financial roadmap to get there. So I think saying that, I think there is a few things that like everyone should do, like no matter what should do. And that is mostly a one size fits all. Like you should be saving at least 
the base level for retirement that you're going to need in order to like sustain yourself and not having to be working as a Walmart greeter when you're 70 or whatever, or like you have some reason why you can't work anymore, or God forbid, there's some illness that you have that allows you not to work. You should be preparing for that and not leaving Mm -hmm. that burden to someone else to take care of you. So I think that's like all encompassing. Everyone should do that. And that Mm -hmm. would entail like putting money away in a safe retirement fund that's tax advantaged, like a Roth IRA or something like that, putting money away every month so that if those situations happen, or if you just get old and don't want to work anymore or can't work anymore, you're going to be covered, right? Everyone should do that no matter what. And you should start early because the earlier start, the better off you're going to be by a long shot. And Um, just to contextualize that a little bit, we'll probably dive into Roths and 401s in a little bit, but what would you say is, obviously everyone has their own scenarios. What would you say is an amount that people should be looking like a range of their salary that people should be looking to put away into retirement accounts? Because I think a lot of people have this perception, which honestly isn't even true if you dig into it a little bit, that once you put your money into these retirement accounts, it's gone. So what would you say is a range that people should look to be putting into these accounts? No, it's hard to say for everyone. I mean, everyone's going to have different levels of pay. Some people are going to have more discretionary income. Some people are going to have less. Um, Some people are going to have a higher like cost of living than others. So it's hard to say, but I think for everyone, um, if you're working at a company that has a match on your 401k, I think you definitely should be taking advantage of that because that's the best return you're ever going to get elsewhere. For people that don't know, basically a lot of companies will take, I don't know, the first 4% you put into into your uh, 401k, they'll match it maybe 50% or 100% or some match with a vest, whatever. That doesn't really matter. The point is that your companies will give you money for you to invest into your 401k. And so if you put in a dollar and they give you a dollar, you made 100% right there. And that's better than you're going to make in pretty much any investment um, in yeah, people need instantaneously, taking, right? So you need to be yeah. taking advantage of that. That's just like yeah. money you're leaving on the table if you don't do that. So definitely do that. Um, and then start with a percentage that feels comfortable to you. I mean, you're getting out, if you're getting out of college right now, you might not know what that is. So what I would suggest you do is like have a couple different cards and then spend like you normally would for the first month and then break your expenses into those cards. So like say recreations on this card, say all my living expenses are on this card and whatever else. And then after like a month or two, you kind of see what you average in each spending category. And you can see like, okay, like it's unrealistic for me just to randomly put numbers assigned to like, all right, I'm only going to spend 200 a month, 200 a month on food or I'm going to spend when it might not be that much. So do that and get a baseline and then say, okay, maybe I'm a little high here, a little high here, and then go from there and then try to start maybe adding a percent of how much you save every year. Um, so maybe this year it was 5% you saved of your income, next year 6%, 7 so on and so forth. And then try to keep expanding that as you go. And then once you get higher and higher paychecks, you kind of maybe get promotion or something, you can increase that save um, so that over time your lifestyle is not exploding past whatever yeah. you're saving and you can still save for retirement. Right. So just to summarize, you're basically saying that, you know, people shouldn't look to estimate what they are going to spend on a certain thing um, before they even live that lifestyle. They should give it a couple months maybe and see what they're spending on average. And then by cards, you're talking about using credit cards. Yeah. Basically the card idea is basically just an easy way to track what you're spending instead of going through and like writing down by hand, like this is what I spent this much in this. It just takes a long time. And it's like the bigger barrier, like more friction it is to do it, the less likely you are going to be able to do it. 
So mm-hmm. doing it with like maybe two different cards, one for all the fun things I do, one for all the things I have to do, and then spending that. And then at the end of a month saying, okay, I spent $600 this in here. I spent $700 here. Next month I did about the same. So like, okay, this is how much I can realistically say this is the lifestyle I want to live. And then if I realize that like, oh, well, I'm spending way too much money or like I'm not saving anything at the end of the month. Now I realize that like, okay, that 10% is not going to make it. Maybe I have to learn where I can cut back. But like just making a budget randomly and just assigning random numbers to it, which what a lot of people do, you're not going to stick to it. It's not going to work and you're not actually going to like save anything in the end. So that's why I, I like that a lot. That way. That's super simple too. Speaking of expenses, I think uh, there's this uh, floating joke on LinkedIn about or like various social medias about uh, people spending a certain amount of their uh, they spend like $4 a day on a latte, right? And that latte adds up, right? It compounds into, you know, $250,000 by the time you retire if you're investing that $4 every day and earning the average return on it. What do you think about that? And uh, where's the truth in it? Because I think there is some truth in it. And where should people kind of uh, like draw the line on on that message? Yeah, I actually have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, so it's funny you say that. Um, <laughs> the first thing I'll say is like, I like, every financial advice I'll ever give like to each their own, right? Like for some people, you know, they hate coffee from a Keurig at home, right? Like they just can't do it. And like, they love to socialize and be in a social setting and like go to their favorite coffee shop. And like, that's fun. I'm not saying either way was better or worse. I would say, think of it this way. Okay. So there's one way to think about it is like, okay, this is $4 a day every day. That's like, over 40 years, that's like 250 grand, right? If you take, if you would invest in that money, that's a big number, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But you could look at it another way. You could say, realistically, over the year, that's like two grand. And the time I'm spending, like making my coffee at home, having a lower quality of life, like not feeling as excited to go to work or have this extra part of my day where I can like relax and talk to people and socialize or be in public and just like meet new people that could potentially like, I don't know, be a good network for me. Maybe I go to one coffee shop that like some dude I talk to every day ends up like investing into one of my business deals. And that turns into $50,000, $100,000. Right. So mm-hmm. in the end, like it depends on what type of life lifestyle you want to live. Right. I'm in the camp of, it doesn't really always make sense to cut costs as much as you can because you can't cut the zero. You just have to live. Right. And so there's only a certain amount you can cut, but your income potential is limitless, right? Like people can make millions and millions of dollars a year. So in the end, if you truly believe in yourself and you think, you know, I want to be super successful and like, I believe I'll make a lot of money active income because I'm going to build skills and I'm going to focus on that. And you do focus on that. Then really is that $2,000 in the end of the, of the year, like going to be material in like the long term? Probably not. And so I think it's, it's more important to spend time on the $30,000 questions, not the $3,000 questions, not the $3 questions. Right. So like, yeah, go ahead. I think that's a great point. People get really granular on these little costs that they, Oh, let's cut this out. Let's buy this and save money over the year. And I think they tend to forget about the bigger expenses that are actually damaging their ability to make money and their ability to save. Like having a car in Chicago, it just doesn't sometimes make sense. Switching things out like that. I think, is the right mindset for if you actually want to go and cut costs, looking at things you actually don't need. Um, and yeah, so I, I just think it's, it is funny because that does get thrown around on LinkedIn a lot, Twitter, uh, <laughs> all these social medias. 
your your coffee is costing you four dollars a day but <laughs> people don't remember that they have these huge payments for their phone their car things like that um and just sometimes they're just unnecessary things in their lifestyle but yeah yeah I yeah and to one jump of in things that's interesting oh yeah go ahead, Jacob. About, sorry sorry to cut you off grant but one yeah, thing ahead, that's interesting to talk about is like the psychology of like spending money i mean that's a topic for a whole nother day but like i would really look into it for a lot of people because i think how we save our money people spend a lot of time thinking about that but not a lot of people think about how we spend our money and it's actually just as important i mean i think money's a tool it's not like something you just accumulate in a bank account and like you had another zero like you can look at on a screen on your phone like that doesn't mean anything it's a tool that you should use to like live the life you want to live right and so spending money um on things that you care about is actually a good thing spending money on things you don't care about or don't really add that much value to your life, that's where you run into issues. And so figuring out what actually like adds value to your life and what you enjoy spending money on, and then spending more money on those things, and then spending way less money on the things that don't really add value to your life. Like for me personally, I don't really care where I live that much, like right now in my life. It doesn't, I mean, eventually, hopefully I get to a point where like I can live in a nice place, like maybe on a beach or something, but like living in a little bit nicer apartment doesn't really matter to me. So I live with my parents and spend $0 in rent. And like, that's awesome that I have the opportunity to do that. But I think you should live in extremes to where the things that you enjoy spending money on and love spending money on, maybe it's like going out to dinner with your friends. You should spend more money on that. You should spend way less money on the things that you don't care about, right? So like, maybe it's where you live. Maybe it's the car you drive, whatever it is that you don't really, maybe it's clothes you wear. If there's things you care about, you spend more money on it. There's things you don't care about, spend less money. And then focus on the things that really matter in life, not like, whether I'm spending two or three dollars on coffee today, spend time thinking about like, am I saving? Can I save one more percent every year? If I save one more percent every year, I go from nine percent to ten percent savings rate and investing rate. That's huge money. That's way more than like three grand or two hundred, even two hundred fifty grand over the the course of your life, right? And so people mm -hmm. say like, you could invest that four dollars of coffee, but like realistically, they're just gonna go spend it at the mall when they buy a new pair of clothes or like new pair of jeans or whatever it is, right? So like. Mm -hmm. that doesn't matter so don't spend your time <laughs> worrying about stuff that doesn't matter well answered is the uh where should people check out psychology of spending is that like the psychology of money does that book cover that type of stuff actually, i actually haven't read that book um i've heard a lot of good things okay. about it um same here i just think about it in my head to be honest like <laughs> I, I i'm not the best person to give advice on where to look um mm -hmm. i know there's a new show on netflix called like i will teach you how to get rich and I've heard mm. good things about that. I like the guy that, that does it. His name's like Ramit Shetty or something like that. He's a podcast. Yeah. I haven't listened to much of it, but I've heard some of the things he says. And like, I really like the things he talks about. I don't know. There's a lot of places you could go. The problem is that like, some are good, some are bad. I don't know. Figure out yeah. what works for you, I guess. <laughs> Listen <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. Um, moving on then to like building that baseline financial foundation. So there's a lot of people that talk about uh, emergency funds or nowadays there's a lot of high yield savings accounts that are available where should someone start when it comes to thinking about emergency funds thinking about putting money away that could just be sitting in a savings account or a checking account or something that is not necessarily earning any interest yeah so i think that there's like a process you should go through when you're like structuring your portfolio the most important thing is probably that the emergency fund, honestly, um, because like having that peace of mind when you're um, going through and making your portfolio and like having your lifestyle or whatever. 
emergency fund super important because it keeps you a pe- having peace of mind. Um, so having like a thousand dollars first, just set aside. So like if something small happens, realistically, like that's not going to be a like mover in the end. Like I don't know if an actual accident happens, it's going to be a lot more thousand dollars. But having that peace mm-hmm. of mind to start when you start investing is going to be huge. So you start with a thousand dollars, and then you start after that, you can start investing into your like company match 401k or you can invest in your IRA or you can invest in all these other things start investing there and then also be putting money a little bit aside every month for an emergency fund that lasts like depending on your risk tolerance depending on like what type of job you have if you're expecting like you have a up and down job or you don't have a lot of job security or you're worried about the future for whatever reason maybe have that be a little bit longer so like maybe something that'll last you a year and a half two years Mm -hmm. um so for me I put like a year year and a half savings away and I just put oh, nice. that in like a, a money market fund. I mean, actually, currently I have it in a Chase bank account because they gave me like this. They gave me this offer where they're like, dude, if you, if you have 15 grand in here or whatever, how much you can get 900 bucks in like three months or something. And I was like, dude, that's a 7% return. That's yeah. better than I'm going to get anywhere else. So I put it in there. After that, as soon as I get the, the money, as soon as Chase gives me my money, I'm going to take it and run. There. I'm yeah. going to a money market fund. A money market right now currently makes like, four and a half five percent depending on where you go which Can is pretty good it probably won't, like uh, money, money market, market fund is it's like a high yield savings account kind of i mean i won't go into like the depths of what it actually how it works but basically it's like you can get your money you call them up you can get your money in like 24 hours so it's pretty liquid hmm. um so in case of an emergency you're pretty liquid um it's pretty similar to like a, a treasury the problem with the treasury is like you're holding your money in there for like a second. And that's a bond for those people that are like completely yeah. new to this. <laughs> Lost oh. <right> now. <laughs> sorry, yeah, guys. Yeah. Sorry. I'll back up. I'll back up. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> put your uh, account, like your your savings account that where you have your emergency fund, put it somewhere where Ooh. you get a little bit of return that's still liquid. So if something happens, yeah. you can pull it out right away. Um, for me, that's a money market fund. A money market fund makes good returns, but it's liquid. Um, so yeah, keep your emergency fund in there and then have it for like however long you need to like feel comfortable in case something happens like you lose your job like three months six months 12 months 18 months i have like 18 months ish so like that way i feel comfortable if if anything goes down i won't live lavishly like i won't be living on a beach like i will be like (laughs) eating ramen noodles but i want to do what i hate to do and i can go find something i actually like doing so like it just gives me that flexibility and security so that i have peace if something like whatever happens happens yeah, I just want to identify a salient point that I feel like most people won't understand is this idea of liquidity. I think that people like having their money in this Chase savings account because it's close to them and it's so accessible. And they think things like high yield savings account and and money market funds are behind this kind of wall where if you keep your money there, it'll be a week before you get it back. When in reality, money market funds and especially high yield accounts now have same day transfers. It's just as accessible as a bank account because there's routing numbers and um, account numbers. So you can use them to pay off credit cards and things like that. I just, something that I was texting Jalen about the other day, um, someone who's also been on the podcast and one of our, our close friends was to get a high yield account. And at the end of the conversation, he was like, why, does, why doesn't everyone have this? Why is anyone leaving their money in a Chase savings account where they're paying you 0.01% of interest on your money, it you actually lose money if you consider inflation, right? So that's something that anyone listening, I want them to get out of this is make sure you're not putting your money in these places 
where it's really just getting devalued and not fighting inflation somehow. Yeah, yeah. and I you think you have to be uh, a little bit careful with the risk on that, though. Like, don't don't just chase high, don't just chase yields on on things that are like supposed to be your safe money, right? So, like, true. take take that into consideration when you do when you're doing yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> and I think maybe uh, like underlying myth of like definitely something I felt at points in my life, and me and Shroud were talking about this last night. I felt like I. Uh, I've had Chase my entire life, right? Like the biggest bank in the US, I think the biggest bank in the world. It's like my money's been in there. I almost feel like a strange loyalty towards Chase just because it's like this like clean modern brand. And I'm like, oh, it feels safe to be inside of Chase. And it's not like I, I don't logically have any loyalty towards them. But I think a lot of people embody that where they have a bank account that maybe their parents opened for them when they were growing up. Maybe it's a savings account. And they're not thinking about it as something that can be changed or they should be moving their money in and out. Yeah, um, yeah. Think about the big problems, not the small ones. I love Agreed. that nine hundred dollar return. It's so funny. <laughs> Chase yeah, is going to like sue go. you at this point. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Whoa. Hey, this is this is all for entertainment purposes only. Please. <laughs> Dude, yeah. um, okay, I think then moving into maybe one of the biggest pieces of advice from major investors today. So most prominent investor, everybody knows Warren Buffett. His piece of advice to the average investor is to put most of their money into an index fund, into a low cost fund that basically just tracks the S&P 500, something that will continue or in the past historically has given a quite high rate of return and should continue to do so into the future. What do you think about index funds? Um, And the next question after that would be like, what do you think about index funds right now when things are like a little bit wonky? Uh, Like there's a little bit of concern uh, with interest rates and things jumping all over the place. Um, yeah, and just to add to that before you answer that, maybe give us <laughs> in the context of index funds within retirement accounts and then personal portfolios, so maybe stocks and whatnot. I hate day trading. Hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I did day trade for a little while, actually. I bought a truck after day trading. I bu- I made like... <laughs> enough money to buy a truck. And then I was like, when I thought about it, I was like, I am so stupid. I'm literally just gambling. It and is, it's close to gambling. It's gambling. It's, it's literally gambling. It's, it's legal gambling. You can do anywhere on your phone. It's gamified. Everyone thinks they're a genius. You're not a genius. Yeah. I'm sorry to tell yeah. you, I hate to break it to you. I'm not being nice right now. I'm being kind. Okay. And <laughs> you're not a genius. Yeah. We'll go to Yale. There's people winning literally math competitions in China that are getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. There's hundreds of them all working for one company, one hedge fund. And they look at their desks, staring at a computer screen, a hundred hours a week, every single week to, to beat you in the market and to steal your money. (laughs) And you think you're going to be smarter than them by like looking (laughs) on your lunch break. Okay. (laughs) Even so okay, even if you are, even if you are smarter than them, you're a genius, right? I don't know who, like Jimmy Neutron, okay? You're smarter than them. You beat them, all right? The amount of time you have to spend beating them when you have like $5,000 in your account, you're going to make like $5. And you're, you're making like half a cent an hour, okay? Go work at McDonald's instead, all right? You're making way more money. Stop day trading unless you have millions of dollars of capital and you're a genius, which you probably don't if you're listening to this podcast. I mean, I don't know if you guys might pull in. You guys might pull in some billionaires. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to assume. I don't want to assume. But you're probably not going to make money day trading. So, like, 
if you have to put a couple put a couple bucks aside and call it your gambling fund tell yourself you're being a little degenerate like go shame yourself in the corner and trade your little options <laughs> lose all your money and come back to me crying and say i'm sorry like i should have just invested in s&p 500 all right so you're telling me the 50 dollars <laughs> options course that i bought isn't gonna get me rich mm-hmm. all right you uh you get back to me on that one. <laughs> uh, I don't want to assume. You might get lucky. I don't know. Dude, please don't buy courses from people. It's literally, it's literally a lottery you ticket. Pitch. You're just buying, you're just buying a lottery <laughs> ticket, right? Like people get lucky all the time, and it's probably not going to be you. And the people that do get lucky bet their house and like their wife and kids, like <laughs> they bet their dog, like they are. <laughs> not making smart decisions and they got lucky and you see it on wall street bets and you think that's going to be me. It's probably not going to be you. If it is you, you got lucky more often than not, you're going to on the street under an overpass and I'm going to drive by you and give you $20 bills on my door of my window because I invested in the S and P 500 and you didn't. Okay. So overall my take on index funds is like, they are probably the best passive investment that like, Anyone can make. You should spend your time increasing your active income, shoveling it into the S and P five hundred um, ETFs that have like literally point zero zero four or point zero four expense ratios, which basically means like if you have a hundred dollars in this account, it's going to cost you like what a fourth of a cent cents. or something like that yeah. a year to like invest into it. So it's like super cheap, and also you're not going to be paying taxes on it like you would pay in a um, like a managed account. So you could go and buy, um, I don't know, ARC or something, ARC investments or like something where someone is, you're paying someone to invest for you, right? And they go and they buy the best stocks that they think are best and they spend all day doing it, right? So you're out doing your job or whatever and they're going back and they're saying, oh, like oil's up today, let's buy oil or whatever. Or like get out of biotechnics or whatever the heck they're talking about, like futures, uh, whatever. They're doing all that smart people stuff. You don't have to do that. But the issue with that is even if they do beat the market, which like most managers don't, like I think 5% of managers a year beat the market. And like the likelihood of your manager being in that 5% year after year after year after year is like super low. And you're going to be paying taxes. So when they're buying and trading things, you're paying taxes on that. And so taxes can be like upwards of 30%, which can like super cut out your profits. So if you made like, I don't know, three percent now you take 30 percent of that away and you like made a bunch less so yeah etfs are super tax advantaged because you're not buying and selling things uh they're super passive because you don't have to worry about it you can just dollar cost average into it they're super diversified so you don't have to worry about like if i bought the right thing or if i bought the wrong thing like you bought everything so you don't have to worry about it and then Mm -hmm. yeah it's just like even if it's wonky right now say like interest rates are up or the bond rates are down or the yield curve or all this other smart people stuff that they're talking about like you don't have to worry about that. Just put a little bit of money every aside. Just keep buying. Literally forget the password about your account. That's what they say. They did a study and they're like, who did who did the best in in like our trading accounts? I think it was like a Vanguard or something. And they said mm-hmm. that like the number one people that did the best out of any other investor were the people that forgot their trading accounts and hadn't logged in in like 30 years. And so like wow. their money's sitting there and they can get to it eventually. They just like call somebody up and be like, yo, like, can I get my money? Like, here's my password, whatever. Or like, they'll give it to you, whatever. So like, and they're just auto investing it. Like it just yep, gets pulled out yep, of their paycheck. Just, you can literally set it up to like, you set that money aside. You don't ever see it. It goes away. And then in 40 years, you're going to have like five to $10 million 
and you'll be thanking the Lord in heaven that you did not buy Tesla futures in freaking 2020 or whatever. And like you you made a bunch of money and then you bought Bitcoin and now you're down horrendous. (laughs) And then now you're buying Dogecoin. Anyways, all that to say is you'll be much better off not trying to beat the market, just be in the market. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. I just realized, though, we didn't actually explain what index funds are or ETFs. So if you're confused, can you give us a quick explanation of what an index fund is um, an ETF as well? They're basically the same thing, but yeah. Yeah, sorry, guys. Uh, I told these guys <laughs> that I basically just black out during podcasts. So like, I don't know what I'm saying right now, so don't hold this against me. Um, <laughs> basically, basically, an ETF is a pool of stocks that tracks a certain indice. So an indice would be like S&P 500, which is the 500 largest companies in the US that are valued, I believe, which means that like the bigger the company is, the more that index holds. So like Apple's like the biggest one. Yeah. So Apple's like the biggest one. So they hold the most Apple. And the ETF is basically like you can buy into shares of it and it tracks that index. You can trade it like a stock. Yeah, you can trade it like a stock um, and it's basically like tracks that index. So you hold the same thing as that index, which is like the S&P 500, which is all the 500 biggest companies. So you're basically just betting on the US economy. You can also buy ETFs that are like total market ETF ETFs, which are basically like you hold basically every stock. You can buy small cap ETFs, which are like all the small companies like Tesla used to be a small company. Now it's a huge company, right? So you'd get the lift on that. And you'd get that all the way up. So having like what I would do for someone that's, I mean, this is not financial advice, so take it for what it's worth. But like for me personally, I would put like maybe 60% in S&P 500, 40% in small cap. Um, Some people like more diversification, less risk, and they do 60% S&P 500, 40% total market index fund. So just pick whatever fund you think is best and like just buy it and hold it and don't worry about it and like, Unless the U.S. economy goes to the garbage, you're going to be fine. And if it does go to the garbage, like your stocks aren't going to matter anyways. Like you're probably going to be like living in a burned down bunker somewhere in the middle of Arkansas or something. And you're the least <laughs> focus on the big problems, about. not the small ones. <laughs> the last thing you're going to be worried about is like some dude that's day trading and stealing all your money. Like you know what I mean? Don't take my financial advice. <laughs> Just buy the S and P 500. All right. <laughs> what do you think about? What do you think about bonds then? Like when people say you should be uh, like a certain amount in the S&P 500 and then a certain amount in bonds, especially as you near retirement, what do you think about kids our age or kids that are entering the workforce or younger professionals? I'm not 100% a fan of bonds. Um, there's a lot of reasons, but basically like they did a bunch of studies and said that like if you hold 100% stocks, you're always going to make more money than if you hold 100% stock or 80% stocks and 20% bonds or whatever. Mm. The reason is the bonds like lower your volatility. The thing is when you're young, the volatility doesn't matter because you don't have to like retire tomorrow. The issue is if you hold like a bunch of Enron stock or whatever, and then like you're about to retire tomorrow and like, uh uh-oh, Enron was like causing a bunch of issues and now they're worth zero dollars. And so like Mm. all your retire money is gone. And so if you had had some bonds, you wouldn't have to worry about that because bonds are a lot much safer and don't move as much. Theoretically, I mean, not always, but like theoretically. And so like that volatility of it going up and down, like doesn't happen as much. So you, as you need retirement, you have a like less volatility. And so like, say if I was going to retire tomorrow and the stock market crashes, I'll still be like, okay to retire. Mm. That's like the long and short of it. But like, as when you're young, like bonds aren't 
really worthwhile in my personal opinion, unless it's like, I don't know, right now treasuries are at like five and a half percent. And like, right. if you bought a treasury, you're like, it's backed by the U S government. Um, I feel like we've yeah. gotten really far away from like the intro <laughs> guy that's like starting out. Now we're talking about yeah. treasuries and three X leverage, just like, like random <laughs> questions now. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. I mean, even just like, even if another advantage to them sometimes is when they're like tax advantage, right? So I was talking to Grant yesterday about muni bonds, municipal bonds, where investing in them. So municipal bonds for anyone that doesn't know are bonds that you can invest in like a city's effort to fix their bridges or um, their roads or just things like that, that they need money for. And they're relatively stable and sometimes, and, and actually always they can deduct against your taxes. So even something like that is something to consider with bonds, but I kind of agree right now, not if you don't have much invested, probably not the time to look into that, but something to consider for the future. Yeah. For people that don't know, basically like equities, like the thing we were talking about, like S and P 500, that's an equity. And so when you buy equities, you're buying a share of a company. So you're like a part owner of the company. And when the company does better, you do better because you own part of it. Right. A bond is debt. So you don't own part of the company. Basically, the company says we need $100 million. So we're going to go find people to give us $100 million. They give out their bonds and then people will pay them the money and then they'll pay them a certain amount of money to hold those bonds. So basically, like I'm Apple and I need $100 million to go design the new iPhone, right? I put out a bond and then all these people like Grant and Sherrod both buy, you know, however much money of bonds. And then I have to pay them every month. $5 million or, or every year, five, like however much money they put in, like 5% or something. Right. And then at the end, after I use up all that and I like design my iPhone, now I sell the iPhone, I have the money back. I give it back to all the people who are holding bonds. And so the, for the person that's holding a bond, you get like however much percent return every year or whatever. And then at the end, you get your money back. So like you, you end up getting some money for it. Right. But like you don't share in the upside of a company. You also don't share on the downside. That's why there's less risk involved and there's less volatility. But like, what, so when you trade bonds like in the secondary markets after they're issued, so like if I wanted to go buy Grant's bond from Apple, I would have to pay whatever it's valued at that time. And based on interest rate, that changes it. So that's where a little bit of volatility comes in because it can be valued at different things at different times. But like that's the breakdown of what, what a difference between a bond and an equity is. Thanks for explaining that. That was like... Uh... It, I'm realizing this whole episode is a good exercise in understanding kind of like where we've built up to in the knowledge base and helping people to get back to it. Yeah. Definitely easy to forget. Definitely. Let's, uh, I think that's a, maybe a good segue. This whole section, we've talked about a couple of things that have been off the cuff of just very general investment advice. Let's move into the second half of the episode or in the last 20 minutes here around uh, your ideas around wealth generation when it comes to things outside of the S&P when it comes to, in particular, real estate and any other alternative investments that you're thinking about. Um, so how are you thinking about investing or building things outside of uh, when it comes to traditional investments? So like I said earlier, like investing is very personalized to a lot of different people. And so for one person that just wants, you know, white picket fence, nice suburb, works a job they don't hate, they like it and they want to go on a vacation every year like you know what investing a bunch of extra into the the retirement fund doesn't really change that much because like when they retire like what i get an extra like a little bit nicer car or like 
I, you know what I mean? So it doesn't really mm -hmm. matter, right? If you're on the other side of that and you like, I want to be like a multimillionaire. I want to be like living in the nicest house, living in the nice, or like you want to invest capital into places that you feel like need it, right? Like you think that there's something you care about, like say it's climate change, right? And instead of yelling on Instagram or whatever it is, you feel like putting your money where your mouth is. The issue is if you have like $200 in the bank, like it's not going to go very far. And so if you make a bunch of money and you invest that back into things that you care about, you can make a big change in the world, right? And so finding out where you're at in that spectrum and what really matters to you is super important when it comes to like deciding how you allocate your money and your resources. Mm -hmm. I think like we talked about earlier, everyone should have a bare minimum of like a safety net, like a retirement account that like will have enough money so that I don't have to be a Walmart greeter when I'm old. My kids won't have to take care of me. Like it's, it's kind of wrong in my opinion to like make other people take care of you. It just seems like selfish. And so taking care of yourself and setting yourself up so that like, if I need to live in a nursing home, I can pay for that. If I need this type of medicine or I have this issue or I have this, I can pay for it. And I don't like leave that burden to someone else right? Whether I have kids or a wife or whoever else it is, right? So mm -hmm. that's kind of the way I think about it. And I personally find myself farther to the side of the spectrum where it's like, I want to make a lot more money than like living in the suburbs and like having a nice, like chill life. Um, so the way I plan to do that is by taking like active income I make through a salary, putting that into my business, taking the money from that business, buying assets, with that business and then using the cash flow from those assets to buy more assets until I build a big, like enough assets that the assets can keep buying and buying more assets until I have, I mean, enough money, right? Like right, yeah. what is enough money? I don't know currently. I don't think that's like something that's worth thinking about at this time in my life because like hmm. I have no concept of like $10 million or $500 million. And I understand that like there is a treadmill that you can get on when it comes to like making money to where now I have $10 million. Now I want 50. Now I want hundred. Now I want 200. Now I want a thousand. Now I want a million, like more, 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 more. And you just keep running into that because you, you get in contact with other people that are living bigger and bigger lifestyles. Right. Like I just saw this right. tweet the other day about like in Palm beach, people are literally building tunnels from their house, like a hundred feet underneath the road to their beach house. <laughs> So that way they don't have to walk over the road to go to the beach. It costs them millions <laughs> and millions of dollars. They have a $50 million house, house, a $10 million beach house, a $5 million tunnel in between the two. So that every morning they can walk across, go to their beach house, lay on the beach, and they don't have to cross the road. So you get to that lifestyle or you get right below that lifestyle. And now I want that lifestyle. When I was 18, I didn't want that lifestyle, right? I'm not saying I'm mm -hmm. that. I'm just saying like in, <laughs> potentially, right? So like <laughs> now, now like that's what's above you, right? And you didn't even see that before because you can only see so far in front of your face. So now I got like a nicer car, but Jim down the street got an even nicer car, right? Now he has a, this street. And then I get on a new street and everyone has nicer cars, right? And so it's like this treadmill that you get on that like you keep running into. And I understand that. And so I don't want to get like too far into that. So I have like a number that I want to get to where I believe that like I could live off of forever without having to worry about it. And then after mm -hmm. that, anything above that is like money that will actively go into like, honestly, like buying nicer things or like living a more exciting lifestyle, whatever it is that I decide to, I want at that time, but also investing into places where I care about. And I think it's important. 
um, and making a change and effort to make the world a better place. Um, I think like everyone that went to college and is about to start their new job at like some corporate, whatever it is, like big company or whatever, like you're absolutely blessed with an opportunity that like 99% of the world is not. And so you have, in my opinion, a duty to give back to those people that are less fortunate than you and to make the world a better place. And that doesn't mean you can't have nice things or like live a lifestyle that you want to live, right? Like, I don't think you have to be like self-sacrificing to that level in order to be like moral. I mean, some people can, and that's great. And I applaud them. And I hope that one day I get there, but like, I don't think it's necessary. I think what is necessary is like you making a difference in the world with the opportunities that you've been given and people that squander it and like waste their out their resources that waste their time that like just want to live like a decent life is like deplorable to me. Like I, I think that's (laughs) terrible. Um, What's Easter? Could I, right? like, could I uh, ask you a question on that? I think yeah, go ahead. Um, a lot of people tend to have uh, don't tend to have that conviction. Like, I think a lot of people have the feeling that they should give back to the world. Why do you think you have that conviction in spades? And why do you think? How do you think people can develop like the need to give back or like the real belief in giving back as opposed to um, thinking about it as an idea that is like a good thing to do, but is not necessarily like a central part of their life or a goal of their life? I think I was blessed with the opportunity to see what the world has to offer early on in my life. Um, I lived in Africa for a year and saw, I mean, I, the, I don't think this podcast has video, but you can see behind me, like there's a picture there that is of uh, a refugee camp that I lived outside of for a year when I was like 13. Mm-hmm. Um, basically seeing that, like when I was young as a kid, my parents didn't make much money. Um, and I wanted new pairs of shoes and I'm, I couldn't get a new pair of shoes because my parents didn't have money for it or wouldn't spend money on it. And so I would ride up and down the street in my bike and I would drag my feet against the ground so that my shoes would ruin so that my parents would have to buy me new shoes. Right. And I live that life. And then I go and live for a year in Africa where I see people kicking around a soccer ball made of, you know, like trash bags. Um, mm-hmm. I see people like struggling to eat every day, like not having enough food to survive. And so seeing that and like living there for a year in that and realizing that like the problems I think I have are like nothing compared to the things that other people around the world have. And by no other issue, like no other fault of their own. They had nothing to do with this. They just were born in a different place. That's it. Like you, you can see people all around the, like the U S that have issues and have these problems. And like, it's easy for people to say like, you know what? They just made bad decisions. They did this and that and that. But there, and I mean, I, that's for to, for someone to decide for themselves, but there are people living in the world that have literally zero opportunity to have a good life for themselves. Nothing by their work ethic, nothing by the things they do, not how smart they are, not nothing of that sort. It's just where they were born. And so the fact that like you or I was born in a place where we have the opportunity to go to a four-year university that's, awesome and teaches you a lot of things and costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. and that we have the opportunity to work a job that like two percent of people get like offered to come work there and that you make enough money that you can live on yourself and have more to spend on things that like you want to Mm -hmm. it's just crazy to think that like you wouldn't want to give back to someone that doesn't have those opportunities 
And I think yeah. the reason that people don't think that is because they haven't seen it, right? Like if I, if I don't have any connection to that personally, I see it on the TV, see like feed starving children or whatever, like it doesn't hit home. It's not real. It's like something that's fictional almost. So like having that opportunity to see that myself personally at a young age, like changed my life. And I think that's kind of what gives me this conviction to like, think it's a duty that people have to give back. So I, I mean, I, I personally don't don't live in a way that's like 100% congruent with that all the time. Like I'm not living in tatty, like tattered up dirty clothes and like giving every mm -hmm. single cent I own to someone that's less fortunate than me. And I still live like a good, peaceful, good, like well off life, right? And so like, I still think I have room to grow in that aspect, but like, and I'm not better than anyone else in any capacity i just have had that opportunity to see some things that other people haven't seen yeah i love that that's like uh i'm going to asia pretty soon on like a three-month trip and that's one of the things i'm like pretty interested in seeing is just like poverty in china and poverty in uh like different countries vietnam uh like thailand a couple other places and i'm kind of hoping to see like the real perspective on how a lot of the world lives in that alley because i think that is such a powerful realization that a lot of people don't like live and understand when we grew up in a first world country and grew up in Chicago and and all those things so um I really really like that message and I think that's something that a lot of people could probably take to heart and like actively try to see and actively try to understand um yeah jumping back to investing uh <laughs> how do you think about because uh, we got into investing in <laughs> hey man transition a plus I'll give you it right there Go I, was wondering, I was wondering how we were going to transition. Um, how do hey, we, don't uh, worry about it. Don't think about it anymore. Grant's got us. <laughs> Good work, how do man. We, uh, how do we think about real estate in general? Like, How do we think about if, as people that are not necessarily invested in real estate, but are interested in real estate, I think a lot of people, there's maybe the misgiving uh, idea that real estate is kind of this surefire thing that it'll always go up. And uh, it's something that you should invest in. So is that true? Yeah. And should people be invested in real estate? If so, how should we get involved in real estate? Yeah, man. Once again, not financial advice. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, this is all for entertainment purposes only, I promise. <laughs> um, so I'll give you a little bit of background for people that don't know me. Um, I basically had the, the opportunity to work with my dad when we started a real estate company and like when I was like 15. Um, and so I learned like the ropes of that pretty early and I had that opportunity. Um, I actually hated it when I started because I was like wiring outlets at like 2 a.m. at like this house my dad bought and it was terrible. <laughs> it was like my dad bought it for like 20 grand and like we worked there every single day for like three months and like I didn't go home until a job was finished and it was like past midnight a lot of nights and I was like oh, 15. <laughs> so it was like not fun. But I had the the like great fortune to like learn a lot of the things that go along with that. And so um, with that being said, we basically bought that house or my dad bought that house. We renovated it. We kept doing that. We flipped a bunch of properties. We flipped like 15 to 20 ish properties. Um, and then I got to college and I mean, a buddy bought a place here on campus and rented out to some of our friends, renovated it. And then we sold it last year and, um, through some dumb luck and macro environment conditions that like I had no control over, I ended up doing very, very well with that investment. And now I've since taken that that money that I've that got from that investment and put it into about ten units that I own. Um, I'm trying to grow that into basically a 
real estate private equity fund, um, which basically, if people don't know, basically it's like a, a fund. It's pretty much similar to a private equity fund. If people know what that is, um, people give you equity to invest into real estate deals. Um, and there's a lot of nuances to that that like are out of the scope of this podcast, but that's basically where I'm at when it comes to, when it comes to real estate. Um, so that being said, do I think real estate is important as a part of a portfolio? Yes. Do I think it's difficult for it to be a part of the portfolio for someone? Also? Yes. I think mm -hmm. when you're out of college, your only real options when you don't have a large liquidity, large net worth, um, you don't have a lot of active income. It's difficult to be a part of the real estate space because your only real options are REITs, which are publicly traded real estate investment trusts. And they don't have a lot of the alpha that another real estate investment would have, like a private equity real estate investment, because you're not taking depreciation, you're not getting tax advantaged, um, and you're usually not getting, you're just not getting a lot of benefits because a REIT has to deploy, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of capital, if not billions, probably billions. And so when you do it, when you're deploying that much capital, you can't find inefficiencies in the market because you're buying from other extremely sophisticated buyers. And so the assets are not usually like a lot of value add to be done to them, right? So there is some safety in the real estate that you buy because you're buying super core, like good investments that are like anchored by... I don't know, Netflix or Apple or Tesla or those people, those, and they're like very credit. It's almost like buying bonds. And so you do get a lot of uh, like income from them and they're like good, but there's a lot of issues with them. So as you go up in net worth, as you go up in liquidity, as you become an accredited investor, there becomes more options for you to invest into real estate, whether that's through syndications, whether that's through funds, whether that's through private equity, whatever it is, or even personally, if you want to personally invest into real estate, the issue I think with personally investing in real estate is kind of like the thing we talked about earlier with the um, stocks uh, is that you probably won't create much alpha because you're competing against people that are much more sophisticated than you and have spent a lot more time on it. And while you can make decent returns, you probably won't make much more than market. And so the time and effort you spend on it, it can be fun, but like it's not investmentally a good decision, right? Like investment wise. So investmently, I don't know. That's it's tough. <laughs> I told you I black out. Don't. <laughs> um, but so so I think that like as you move up, there's more and more like sophisticated things you can do um, to invest your money into real estate. I think like a lot of people will think that like oh just buying a house or like house hacking or all these things like they are good ways to start and they are like good to look into. But like for most people, I think as you go up in the ladder of like getting more and more money, more and more investment liquidity. Funds, syndications, real estate, private equity stuff is like a good way to go. And it should be a part of a portfolio between like five and 20% ish. I think I would say, depending on Not your financial advice. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so that, that's kind of how I think about it. You need to make sure to have diversity. That's why you need to have more and more money. Like, first of all, you need to be an accredited mm -hmm. investor to invest in most of these things. Um, and secondly, like most funds that you invest into need to have a certain dollar amount that you need to invest. Most syndications have a certain dollar amount you need to invest. And usually that'll be like $50,000, $100,000, $150,000, how much it is. 
And so if you have a million dollars in the bank, if you invest $100,000 in this deal, that's 10% of your net worth. The issue is it's only one deal and it's one operator and it's one property. And the issue is if that goes bad, that boom, poof, sorry, 10% of your net worth gone. Now it could go really well, right? But you're just risking it because you don't have any diversity, uh, diversification. So what I would say is you want to have like, it's kind of similar to stocks, right? You want to have 10 different investments in your portfolio. So like if, if you put $50,000 in each deal, like that means you'd have to have $500,000 to invest in the real estate, which means you'd have to have $5 million net worth to make it 10% of your portfolio. Um, so yeah, it's difficult, right? To get to that point, it's not impossible. It's, it's difficult and you can take a little bit more risk and invest in the people you know and trust personally versus like kind of having a bigger diversification people you don't know that well or whatever. Like there's a lot of things you can do to like make those investments a little bit more sound. Um, mm -hmm. so with that being said, for most people right out of college, like is real estate necessary to have as a part of portfolio? No. Is it something you should be thinking about? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Maybe in the next like five years, something like that. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I like those yeah, points definitely. Yeah. I like those points a lot. I think you did a good job explaining that. It seems like it's a bit of an abstract concept to most people. And so it's cool to hear your story on how you got into it as well and how maybe some other people can get started in it. I think we've come to a point, even though I think we could have this conversation for three more hours and not cover the scope of it. We've come to a point where we've talked a lot and I want to summarize a little bit just before we wrap up. So just kind of go over a lot of the things that we've talked about, some practical steps. Make sure that we're saving money. Make sure that you are putting money aside for the costs that you will inevitably have and putting money aside into some type of emergency fund, whether that be three to six months or in your case, a year and having that available so that you have even the freedom to let go of a job and live the lifestyle that you want to live. Um, make sure that you guys are looking into your employer's 401k. Um, and I know we didn't get to talk about Roths a lot, but it's something that everyone should explore, uh, IRAs and Roth IRAs and all types of retirement accounts and make sure that um, enough money is going into these types of things. In terms of stocks, don't try and be a hero. You're not going to beat the market. Don't buy those courses. Just put everything <laughs> into index funds and different funds and ETFs and try and be in the market. I love that saying, be in the market. No, don't try and beat it. And I think in terms of real estate, it's something that we could all look to in maybe five years. But yeah, I think that was a great conversation overall. And I think we covered a lot of the ground. So yeah, yeah I, I want to leave some people with with one last thing before I go. We talked a lot about like figuring out what, what type of lifestyle you want and like basing your financial roadmap off of that. The issue is like, how? <laughs> so that can be like, well, what? like, okay, cool. I know what I want, but like, now what? So the way to think about it is they basically did a bunch of simulations to say like, you can live off of 4% of your portfolio a year forever. And because over the last hundred or so years, like however long the stock market's been around, the market's been on average eight to 10% a year right? So some years it'll be down, some years it'll be up huge. Some, but over the long term, it averages out to be around 8%. If you take 4% of that, that means you're basically just living off of the money that you're making every year. And so you basically never really tap into the principal. And so you can live forever, right? 
So if you need $40,000 a year to live, you need a million dollars set aside in investments, right? And so when you're doing the math and you're thinking, okay, this is how much money I need to set aside to retire. Um, say I want to retire with $100,000 a year in income to myself. So I would need two and a half million dollars. So now you go backwards, you can put this on a financial calculator online, financecalculator.net or finance, whatever it is, right? Just look it up, finance calculator. You'll see it and you can put in how much money I need to put in a month in order to get to this amount of money that I want to make to live off of in however many years, right? Say you want to retire in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, however long it is, and then put that money away every month. So what I would do is I'd say, you know, at 60, I want to have bare minimum of two and a half million dollars because adjusted for inflation, a hundred thousand dollars, probably not going to be that much in the end. Right. So say I need two and a half million dollars at 60, I need to invest, I don't know, six, 700 bucks a month. Right. So I just basically just did that math in a finance calculator. It'll take you like 10 minutes. And so I realized, okay, just to have my basis covered of everything after I get my emergency fund, I'm not worried about that. I can start pushing money into my investment fund, 600 bucks a month. I need to make enough money to like make that maybe 10% of my income or something like that. So now I'm covered from my safety net type of thing. So I don't have to worry about the future. I don't have to worry about going to a nursing home. I don't have to worry about in that stuff. I don't have to worry about my kids taking care of me in that stuff. And then now you can get into the bigger stuff of like, now I want to boat. Now I want to give back to this community. Now I want this and that and that. And so now I can, maybe I want to retire earlier. And so I push that number by increasing my investment saving rate. Maybe I invest into more alternative assets where I can push up my returns a little higher, maybe bring my risk a little higher. So that way I can get the things I really want on top of the things I need, right? So cover the things you need, get to the things you want, do the math to figure it out. It's stupid to say, this is what I want. This is my goals. And then not doing the math to get there. So do the math, figure out the best way to do it. Taxes are going to be huge. That's why we keep talking about 401ks, Roth IRAs. 30% of your money of your investment gains will be poof if you don't do this. So if you make a million dollars, there go 300,000 right there. Bam. Sorry. So don't do that. We're like, make sure you have tax advantage accounts. I mean, it's okay to have some like non-tax advantage accounts and you can like deal with the taxes later in certain fancy ways, but like that's for a later time. Basically just focus on tax advantage stuff. And I think you'll be fine. Like if you have a job coming out of college, like you're doing better than 99% of the world. Don't stress too much about it. The thing about making, like thinking about this finance stuff is not to stress you out. It's to give you peace of mind to know that you'll be okay if things go wrong. So like, you'll be okay. Just put a little bit of money away every month. Do the math how much you need to put away. Live a lifestyle that's underneath your means. Don't spend more money than you make. Don't blow your money on credit cards. Don't day trade. <laughs> that's all I got to say. Boom. You guys said it well. Let's cut it there. Hey, are you still listening? If so, you've reached the end of the episode. As usual, you can find all of our updates on Instagram at surfacetension.pod and look for future releases on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.